The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. A few years ago, over some drinks in a bar, two old friends that had taken different paths in life met up to talk wine. Tim Lightbourne, a marketer, and Rob Cameron, a winemaker, thought there might be room for a brand that removed the complexity around wine and made it more approachable. And so Invivo was born, made from two maxed out credit cards and some grapes, as the legend goes. From the beginning, they were out to innovate, turning big-name fans into big-name partners and being one of the first to successfully crowdfund a wine company with a record $2 million raised. Their Graham Norton partnership has seen them grow from 14,000 bottles a year sold with his name on the front to $5 million. And here's a stat, one in every 10 bottles of New Zealand wine sold in Ireland is a Graham Norton number. They're out crowdfunding again to try to repeat this success in America. Tim Lightbourne joins me now to talk the journey about taking over one of New Zealand's oldest wineries with one of the newest acting companies and what's next. G'day, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me in. Hey, so tell me tell me about that kind of origin story. How did it all start in the bar? So uh, Rob and I were uh, old schoolmates from uh, back in the day and... Um, we both went overseas uh, to work in our respective uh, careers. So Rob's background was a winemaker by trade, um, and I was uh, working in the marketing industry. Uh, in about 2007, um, we both caught up in London. Our, our travels had taken us there, and um, we caught up for a beer in a London pub. And we just started talking about um, we wanted to start our own business, and then Rob started talking a lot about the wine industry. Um, and so we kind of started hatching our plan uh, that night, and I guess, unlike many other stories, over a few beers, we actually uh, ended up following up, following through with this story. Um, so we yeah, looked. How, how was that? Because you came out of like, um, was it L'Oreal and places like that? So, so, so not the wine industry, but some very kind of big consumer brands. Yeah. Yep. So I had um, well no background in the wine industry. Um, so yeah, you're right. I was at uh, with L'Oreal there with sort of large marketing budgets, and and before that, I used to. I used to look after HP Sauce and Lee and Perrin's Worcester Sauce for the UK, very famous products. Worcester Sauce is basically a national treasure. <laughs> huge, absolutely huge. And um, yeah, that, and, and even that product had a few challenges. You know, it's a fairly old school product and making it relevant for, for today. But yeah, so my background was that sort of FMCG um, marketing. And so I guess we started talking about, okay, if we did launch this wine, how, how could we stand out? 
and how could we take some ideas from other categories that no one was doing in the wine industry and, and some things that I'd learned and I started talking through Rob of, you know, we've done this and this and this and, and how that could apply. So I guess the both of us are sort of, you know, it worked well in terms of that conversation. And then we wrote a business plan. Uh, we, we went to that pub over about six months and wrote a business pub uh, business plan in that pub uh, to come back to New Zealand to launch the business. And what was the kind of um, the guiding insert, insight there around making wine approachable? Because Rob's someone who loved wine and loved making wine, but um, up to this day still talks about wanting to remove a lot of that, um, you, you know, talking about gooseberry taste or whatever yeah i guess um there's a a lot of elements that we looked at so we didn't want to be um another hill or river mountain or lake on the label we'd seen you know you just go into a wine store and there's a lot of um a lot of people a lot of wineries with uh that with that sort of label um and we from the start we wanted to be very different from the labeling but also um make as you said make the wine more approachable so we try not to talk about the land and the soils, sunshine and what's happening too technically um, because, well, one, there's a lot of other wineries telling that same story. And to be honest, they could tell it better. We didn't have any um, generation family background as well. And that's, you know, a lot of sort of wineries are passed on through the family. Um, and so we couldn't sort of go, oh, well, we've been doing this for generations because we, we hadn't. Um, so we kind of had to cut our own path. And we found more and more, um, you know, consumers just getting feedback that, you know, people were, did relate to actually, you know, we, we don't want to get too technical here. Just tell us what it really tastes like. And, and that's been our approach. And tell me about that timing. So 2007, little global financial crisis coming down <laughs> like, a, like a train on you. Uh, yeah. How did that feed into your plans? And Well, I don't think we could have picked a, a worse time in history to, to launch a wine brand. So yeah, 2008 was our first vintage, smack in the middle of the um, the GFC, and we had uh, Sauvignon Blanc that we had launched, and it happened to be the largest ever harvest of Sauvignon Blanc in the history of New Zealand that year, right? So if you imagine two of us coming back to New Zealand, no, no none of the trade knew, knew us in the industry. Rob had been making wine for about seven years in Europe, and here we are trying to sell a Sauvignon Blanc that was an oversupply that year, you go into a shop and uh, the retailer would have three or four hundred, you know, Sauvignons. Why do I need another one from you guys? And then, we, of course, we approached the banks just for an overdraft. So I think we went to about five banks and we couldn't even get an overdraft for the business. Um, you know, we weren't sort of millionaire guys or anything like that. So it was, it was super, super tough. Um, and, yeah, it was pretty touch and go, I'd say, for 12 or 24 months um, with the business. Basically, everything we sold, we just put back into the business. So the months where we weren't paying ourselves anything. Just to, just to put, you know, we'd sell our 12 bottles to the shop, back into it, 12 bottles here, 12 bottles there. Um, and we found that to get sell-through, we actually literally had to stand in those shops ourselves on a Friday or a Saturday or Sunday. I think I've met half of New Zealand because we did 80 <laughs> weeks in a row of standing in shops. We split them up around the country and uh, just, just to get that sell-through. Well, I mean, that's an amazing way to meet your customer and find out what they care about and get all of that feedback to go back into the product as well. And it must be pretty amazing to be standing at the uh, Romati liquor store and then say, I'm the winemaker and I'm the other founder and here we are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, we always get that question. So which company do you work for or what marketing? 
firm are you guys working for doing this tasting? And we said, well, no, well, we are the company. This is us. Um, and, you know, people, that was that sort of struck a chord with people and, you know, to see us sort of standing in that store. Um, we learned quickly how to talk to our consumers. You know, at, at the start, we were sort of trying to tell them too much, da-da-da-da-da-da. And, um, and actually, in fact, they related to the, you know, this is us, this is our wine, Rob here's made it, and this is how he's made it. And, um, yeah, that kind of helped build a bit of a following for the brand around the country and in fact when we first sold uh, to the UK export market we got a retailer on board about 230 stores across the UK. We, as soon as the wine arrived into their store we jumped on a plane, stayed on some um, mates couches up in, the, up in the UK and tried to visit every one of their stores from sort of Scotland in the north down to Southampton, down to Cornwall to stop off and visit every shop that they owned and uh, do a little tasting, and that had never been done before with that retailer. So the buyer was, you know, he was going, well, you guys are actually, you know, we've never seen anyone do this before, and the retail staff got behind us, and we told that same story, you know, it's just the two of us, and this is our business. Um, so again, that helped build a bit of a, a following, because we didn't really have a huge marketing budget at the time. Yeah, well, how do you go from, so you came back to New Zealand, there was an oversupply, so getting hold of uh, grapes probably wasn't too difficult. And then what, what did you do? You start kind of like contract wine making, like d- yeah, doing so it through a third party? And how, how do you go to actually build up to be able to take an idea and fill wines with plonk? So, yeah, I mean, Rob uh, has always done the winemaking. So what we did was, uh, we because we couldn't afford to go out, and buy a huge amount of vineyards. So, yeah, we, we approached some growers and talked to them about what we're doing and, and got their buy-in. Uh, and then we uh, leased some space in a winery. So we literally, Rob would go into another winery and, and make our wines in there because we couldn't afford to also buy a winery or own tanks. Um, so we just hired some space, basically, where Rob could do his thing. And that's something that we've always been quite, you know, Rob's always been quite hands-on in terms of the winemaking. It needs to be his style. But also um, from the label, right, so... Uh, as I said before, we didn't want to be that Lake Hill, River or Mountain. So we asked um, Neville and Liz Finlay from owners of Zambezi to see if they would design our label um, back in 2007. And we didn't even have actually a wine to show them. We just told them, just trust us. This is what we're going to do. They invited us around to their house um, to talk through the whole concept. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a different approach. So Zambezi designed our label back in the day and that got us some immediate sort of, I guess, uh, press attention, mm-hmm. what are these guys up to, and also, you know, for Zambezi, for them to put, they'd never designed a wine label before, um, so that was kind of unique for them, it was a way for us to stand out from the start. And stand out on the shelf it does as well, you know, with a black bottle with that um, big star kind of design, yes. like, um, yeah, like that that stands out enormously, as you say, against all of the pictures of uh, rivers and lakes and mountains and rocks. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and that was uh, kind of the key for us, is, uh, you know, with we're trying to do something a bit different here from the label side of things as well. And how do those first conversations go? So was it was it just bloody mindedness that got you into those first retailers? And then how did you get into the retailers where you get that scale, like the 230 uh, outlets in the UK or, you know, a really big distribution player in New Zealand? Um, I mean, it was just really persistence. So for that large retailer in the UK, I think it took us four or five years to get into that chain uh, in New Zealand. Um, just being, I mean, I know some retailers that would just, you know, at the start flatly refuse us 
and they 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 know the story, and we just keep coming back to them, and now they all they they stock us because <laughs> we didn't go away, and we they like oh, okay, I've seen you guys in the newspaper doing this, or you won something, and it's just been um, persistently sort of knocking on the door. Um, it hasn't been easy to be honest. It wasn't sort of overnight with suddenly in any of these retailers. So Lion, who distribute our product now nationwide for us in New Zealand, which is amazing, one of the biggest alcohol country uh, companies in the country, we approached them. Eight years ago, it took us eight years to get in there. Mm. Um, they said, "Come back when you've built some, you know, scale," mm. which we did. Um, and, and I guess they have to see that there is demand, and yeah. the only way to get demand is to get the customers asking for it. And there's no substitute for actually going out there and getting yeah. in front of the customers. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we had to do the hard yards um, just to get in there. As I said, it wasn't sort of overnight. I mean, we've had. In the last year, some meetings with some of the largest retailers in the UK, in the world actually, and that's taken eight or nine years of trying to get in there just for meetings. And so, if you had that goal from the very beginning, like you know, if you had the, uh, you, you know, the, the the big Tesco's, the big UK retailers on a bit of paper saying this is where this brand's going to end up. Yes. Yep. So we we want to be a, a large player and own you know a top five sort of positioning. In each of those countries for our brand, um, we, you know, when people called us boutique, I always hated that personally because I always felt that if you're exporting and you want to make a, a name for yourself in these export markets, you're not boutique. You know, you're, you're producing, and but it's key to keep it sort of premium as well, so you're not sort of giving it away on price or anything like that. So for us, it was always the goal to be a brand that's you know is well known in each of our sort of key markets, not everywhere because we've only got sort of limited resources, but in the markets that we focus on, we want to be a, a major player. Where do you sit on the shelf in one of these places, you know? So, um, you know, people have kind of their price brackets and stuff. So you premium in the supermarket or premium in the kind of um, mass audience um, liquor store or how do you kind of describe where you sit? Yeah, so, so yeah, but use that marketing term, but yeah, we are in the premium side of things, um, So, but not sort of super premium, I guess, over $20. Um, so it's between 15 and $20, you'll see our wine and, and kind of the equivalent pricing in each currency around the world as well. So it's kind of a nice sort of spot for us. We we don't want to fight it out at the lower price point because that's you're not going to win ever. <laughs> no, no, no. The, so, the yeah. scale of some of the competitors is mind-blowing. Yeah, and, and I think some of the things that we do um, – you know, sort of position our brand to be in that sort of premiumish category. Yeah, and tell me about some of those things. So, like, um, actually, no, no. So, so can we just jump back to Tesco? So, you had Tesco on the on the list of things you wanted to get into, or, or for example, what would be a good example of a store in the UK that you had on the list that you wanted to be in? Uh, probably Asda and Tesco. Asda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then, so you you just started approaching them, or you got intros, or you sent them some wine. How do you how do you start those conversations? So. Um, you chip away at them and you find out who the buyer is and then you, through every av- avenue that you can work on, through networking, you chip away at the buyer. Um, and, it, I mean, it, it's tough to get those meetings. Um, I think they have to see you. None of them want to create the brand for you and do all the work. They want to see you guys or us um, building it up in, the, in that marketplace already. So any media that they see and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that first retailer, Majestic, um, 200 and something stores, they, they saw us doing that hard work. And then they see a bit of media about what we're doing with Graham Norton and, and that side of things. So, um, yeah, it, it's kind of just keeping at them and chipping away uh, and then 
finally getting those meetings in place. (laughs) Let's look at that Graham Norton story because that's such a cool story. So how did that first start, your your partnership with Graham Norton? So um, in 2011, um, I was just sitting here in New Zealand on a Friday night and we just started selling to the UK actually and um, and I noticed obviously um, Graham enjoys a glass on his show but all of his guests do as well um, and so I literally rang up the show got hold of I found out who the production of that show was and got hold of someone in production and said look we're a wine producer um, where are you guys getting your wine from for your show and um, they said they were just buying it from the local shop and I said well can we um, send in some wine for you for the show and um, they said yes and you know and and I said oh can we supply the show and they said well we have to see if Graham likes your wine so he came back and said that he liked your wine so every week since 2011 we've seen up till this week even you know we send 12 bottles of wine to that show every week while they're filming for the guests for the green room for Graham to have on the set so we kind of built up that relationship so that was literally just a phone call right and, and, and those <laughs> guests I mean that is so cool because so many people must think oh it'd be cool to do that and then not follow it up or not make it happen yeah and then and then it all and the people you, you know so like Jennifer Lawrence or yeah. Brad Pitt yeah. or something you're like oh they're, they're drinking our wine that's, yes. that's yeah. pretty cool they've seen our label do, do they take one home after the show yeah so we do a little goodie bag and we're part of that goodie bag that they take home some you know so that's great that they, you know, hopefully they do some social media that they're drinking our wine. But also, you know, for, for press for us, you know, that first show, there was Snoop Dogg and Al McPherson and Rob and I, when we secured that first show, we actually just jumped on a plane and got up there and we had a full page in the Sunday Star Times here in New Zealand saying our wine was being drunk by these celebrities and a huge picture of Snoop Dogg and Al McPherson and Graham and our bottle of wine next to them. Um, and that was for twelve bottles of wine, right? So <laughs> <laughs> twelve bottles of wine and a whole lot of like good good thinking yeah. and following through. So, um, so obviously um, that you know a bit of a light bulb went off for us there. But you know we um, we went up to the show every year and uh, met with Graham after the show and just had a bit of a yarn to him about what we're doing with our uh, winery and also to his agent as well and just sort of sent them updates, I guess, what we're up to. And then two thousand and fourteen. Um, we thought of the idea of making a wine with Graham. Um, so he came back and um, said, I'd, yeah, I'd love to, but you guys need to make it fun and creative and I want to be involved in some way, not just a name on the label. So we went out and actually a friend of yours went to Vaughan Davis at the goat farm. and, and yeah, he's, he, he's been a guest on this podcast <laughs> before <laughs> as well. Yeah, and yeah, is, it, so is it a good, good man, good, good creative thinker. And so um, we sort of sat around and, and thought of the idea of why don't we take 10 kilos of freshly picked grapes from Marlborough on a plane to Graham to the set of his show to stand on in a, in a bucket. And then we would collect the juice on the stage and take two bottles back to New Zealand on the next flight. So Graham quite liked that idea. <laughs> and uh, so the, I was tasked with uh, taking, so I got a chilli bin and put 10 kilos of grapes in it. We jumped on a chopper and then we I jumped on the plane up to Auckland and then I checked the bag in. So I checked it in and I put a whole lot of ice cubes into the into the chili bin into a large suitcase and uh, managed to check it in and then uh, got it through to London and then yeah, out through they, Heathrow and so I went they, to hell. They, <laughs> they don't have beagles sitting <laughs> around there trying to sniff anything. out some. I was saying we managed to get it all through <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I can say that now because it's what four years ago. Yeah. Um, 
and get the grapes to Graham and I had a, a, a bucket with me that I'd brought from I think Briscoe's, it was a, like a wooden planter that wasn't even, it was leaking on the stage and uh, and yeah, and he, when I showed him the bucket of grapes, he could not believe it. I thought you were going to go to like Tesco or somewhere to buy the grapes locally and we weren't, this we weren't going to pull it off. So I said, no, no, I've picked these, you know, 30 hours ago and... Um, yeah, he, I said try them, and they were actually in great condition still. And he had, tried, and he had never tried Savion Blanc grapes yeah. before, <laughs> and so then I got him to stand on the grapes on the set of his show, and uh, yeah, it was such fun. And we brought in a film crew, and you know, I wasn't even sure if we were allowed to bring in the film crew, and it was just it was fun. And and he actually wrote about it in his book. After he gave about a page about, and there's a picture of him standing on these grapes, and he could not believe that we'd actually brought them all the way from from New Zealand. So that, and and he also said for that first vintage for us that we'd just sell it in New Zealand to see how it would go. So we just made uh, around fourteen thousand bottles and sold out very fast. So from then, we uh, expanded to sell around the world, but also instead of doing the grape crushing, we uh, we do a blending process with him now, um, which is a whole different thing. And so is that where you take a bunch of different kind of strengths of a salve and get him to taste out his favourites and then decide what to what to kind of make. Yeah, so um, we take about seven or eight samples and now it's, the range has expanded to the Rosé, Shiraz and Prosecco but we take, just straight after vintage, um, around about now actually, in a, in a few weeks we'll be setting off again, um, we take uh, tank samples from across our growers' vineyards from different sort of sub-regions within Marlborough, Awatry Valley, Wairau, some are very tropical and some are very sort of uh, more apple citrusy type uh, flavour flow files, and we get them to taste through. And this is actually how you do sort of mm. um, choose your wine, or how winemakers do it, uh, and, and to create this sort of final blend. And Graham's got a pretty good palate now, so we sit down for about two or three hours, and there'll be one sample. I like that tropical, but I also like you know the the palate weight or something in this other sample. So we put it all together, and then Rob's my co-founder is taking notes, and then we go back to New Zealand and make that blend to the vineyards that he's chosen every year. That's so cool. And was that on the business plan in the pub in London? Uh, have Snoop Dogg and Al McPherson drinking your wine and Graham Norton standing on it in a jelly bin? Uh, definitely not. But we were, <laughs> you know, obviously it was part of just being a bit, bit of fun and uh, doing things a bit differently. So, um, yeah, that blending process is, is fun and, and, yeah, Graham looks forward to it every year. We've gone to Ireland and we've done London a couple of times and, and this year we'll be doing a, a new location uh, as well. And so he's now a, a shareholder, a small shareholder in the business and is you know really involved in the whole process. So it's more than just a celebrity kind of um, association. And as a result, um, what, what's that amazing stat? One out of every 10 New Zealand bottles of wine sold in Ireland is a Graham Norton number. That's amazing. Just um, incredible, um, the, the take of uh, Graham's wine in, in Ireland. So uh, Three million bottles yeah, sold around the world. Yeah, sold around the world now, so three million bottles. Um, but Ireland was just, you know, we launched it and um, it won the consumer launch of the year for, for up in, in uh, groceries, so that was huge. But it just took off. Uh, they love him there. I guess it's probably like a Richie McCaw type <laughs> product over here, I, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we expanded the range and the retailers have really got on board with it. And we've done some fun th- fun stuff over there in Ireland around it. What kind of proportion of your business is that? Because three million bottles sounds like quite a few bottles. Yeah, I mean, it's getting up there. It's over 50% now. Wow. So, um, yeah. It's, uh, that, there's something about like the the basic economics of wine that seem kind of like so mad when you can go into so so um, 
odd when you can go into uh, a supermarket and pick up a you know, pretty good bottle of wine for 12 bucks or something. And you look at it and you think, you know, you've got a bottle. So that's um, glass. It's It's been made. It's taken a whole lot of energy. It's been transported with care. It's breakable. So it's it's been expensive to look after. It's then filled with something that's grown on actual land and humans have tended it and um, looked after it and picked it. And then um, it's it's worked on in these amazing big industrial areas with like people who are, are professionals who are paid to, to, to make it into wine. It's then stored, you know, and, and transported and then bottled and then it's heavy and difficult and so it's expensive. And then it's only ten bucks. You know, like where's where's the money in this process? How how how's it even affordable? Yeah, it's a it's a question we ask ourselves all the time. Um when we see um, some, uh, some some wine sold at such a cheap price. We don't we don't know how they do it. It's mm. certainly not sustainable um, in a number of ways. So we avoid that at all costs. It's sort of like race to the bottom. Um, but yeah, it's it's some companies working on some pretty fine margins there to drive volume, and it's not always a, a great game to be in. So um, yeah, we we don't understand it. So we need to you know we need to survive and and make this a sustainable business, and that's why you know and there's you know, people that, you know, our suppliers and things that, that need to be paid. So, yeah, there's there's no way that we could sort of fight at that type of price point. And we don't really get it, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, it seems bananas. And then also you overlay fashion. It seems like such a hard business to be in. Like, um, for example, Gisborne has some beautiful Chardonnay, like amazing Chardonnay. And then it became globally unfashionable. And so a whole lot of oversupply happened and then uh, vineyards were being ripped up and the like, which is bananas, you know, this this beautiful, um, long-established vines having no home anymore. Yeah, well, you'd be glad to know that we, we've just done a Gisborne Chardonnay. Ah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're hoping uh, some big things out of Gisborne, to be honest. Um, so, yes, uh, we see it not only here in New Zealand, but around the world. And thankfully, in uh, most of our export markets, New Zealand is at a, at a premium price mm. versus the average price point of, of all wine. So um, we're trying to do it sustainably and, um, and, and grow the business. And we're, we're, we're still a very tiny percentage of the global wine industry, but... But yeah, I think um, you know we're, Sauvignon Blanc is obviously in trend at the moment, but we've always got to keep our eye on what's happening in the future and what are consumers doing. I know um, there's you know organic or vegan and um, lighter, Na- lighter na- alcohol, natural, natural wine, wine as well. yeah. So you know, we're, 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 natural wine's cool. It's almost like a craft beer. You know, it's it feels kind of thick and viscous and like grapefruit juice or something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've seen a little bit about that around. Um, but to do all these sort of things, it's you know there's more work required in the in the in the vineyard, and so the prices have to be a premium as well. So it's a bit of a balancing act. Tell me about your first crowdfund because you're back out in market with another one. But um, your first crowdfund, two million dollars raised, that was a record at the time. And um, also, crowdfunding in New Zealand was quite new, and to have to go out there and show everyone, you know, so many private businesses, especially growing new businesses. It's about looking like you're winning the whole time, even if it's far from the truth. How did it feel having to actually show all of your financials and make all these promises to people? Yeah, I mean, we we spent a lot of time um, working on that 
crowdfunding campaign. So how we got there, I guess, firstly, is um, we'd been growing the business organically ourselves and on those two maxed out credit cards for a number of years. But we wanted to take it to the to the next level, really. So we looked at either do you take out you know a big bank loan or at, or equity crowdfunding. And we'd done a bit of work looking at equity crowdfunding in the UK and the um, and the opportunities really where you could secure you know, hundreds of shareholders and supporters who then become ambassadors for your brand and also along the way get the investment you require. So um, so it was really interesting and we decided that would be uh, the avenue that we would take. Um, so, yeah, six months of, of sort of work preparing for it because, yeah, you're right, getting, putting your numbers on display and your forecasts yeah. to show the public your opposition. But when you're still, <laughs> you're still an upstart. Yeah, you're still growing. and You're an um, independent. You're not part of a big um, wine-growing tradition. Sure, you know, yep. you're, you're upstarts. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it was full on and we brought in a lot of experts. In the, it's almost like a mini IPO. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a information memorandum about 60 pages long and it took a long time to put together you're putting financial information out there so you've got to get it right you're putting your forecasts out there um, so it was full-on process without that six months and then when you go live with it to the public I mean you don't sleep basically because you can see when people are investing mm-hmm. all through the night so you're refreshing the total and how's it going after day one day two um, but yeah we saw it as a huge opportunity to secure I think we 433 shareholders we secured from the crowdfunding campaign um, and managed to get to that $2 million, which had never d- been done before, not only in New Zealand, Southern Hemisphere, uh, crowd- equity crowdfunding records. So. And 500000 was your point where yeah. uh, no money would be taken unless yeah. you reached. So you, 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 And even that wasn't assured, was no, it? No, I mean, we, we thought we could get a few hundred from f- the network, friends and family that had kind of told us over the years I'd be keen um, to invest. So we, we we kind of thought, great to get to 500, 700 would be awesome. Um, but it just it kept on going, really. It just, on the first day, um, we managed to get TV1 down to the, um, to the launch of the crowdfunding campaign. And we got a big sort of button in and uh, we had a gong and it, and it was on TV1 News at 6 that night. And I think it went up $500,000 in 30 minutes. After it was on the news. And what was your distribution like at the moment? Was that people who'd bought it somewhere and loved it and then thought, oh, yeah, that's I'd like to own a bit of a vineyard? Yep. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we'd spoken to a lot of people in, around the country and we had a bit of a database and stuff of, of people that had joined. 500, and, uh, 500k out of just people watching on the news. Yeah, and just seeing our story, really, and what we were doing with Graham. We just started with Graham at that yeah, time, yeah. so I don't even think... His wine was launched, we're just about to launch. So um, People love Graham Norton. They like, do. love him. I think per capita we yeah. have a higher viewership here in New Zealand and the UK of that show. Yeah, it's uh, like people, <laughs> people have like a dinner party with him every yeah. Friday night. Or, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully a bottle of his wine. So, um, yeah, they do. And, he's so, and, and when we meet with him, he is, like you see him on that show, yeah. very easygoing and, um, and great fun. So, yeah, that crowdfunding campaign worked, worked really well for us and um, help, uh, it helped us sort of take it to the next level, which we've done over the last few years. Yeah, oh, that, that's so cool. And having been through that process, um, not that many crowdfunding companies, uh, because it's new, um, have actually successfully crowdfunded and then gone back out to the market and showed updated financials or an updated valuation. And some crowdfunded companies, just like companies amongst any general population, have not made it and sure. some have done well. Sure. So there aren't that many kind of like, Good, good investment stories out of this new um, area as yet. But 
with yours, how's that gone for the um, for the people who took part in the first crowdfund compared to the latest valuation you've put on for this next round? Yeah, so I think um, what we've tried to do is keep pretty um, open with our communication with our shareholders. So we're sending um, quite often updates to them throughout the year. Uh, we have a huge AGM with them, so um, hopefully they come to look at the numbers and not just the free wine. Um, so, I mean, we have, you know, turnouts larger than um, sort of most listed companies at our AGM. So we've quite tried to keep them really involved in the whole process um, and really good feedback. We've seen already early days in this crowdfunding campaign, a lot, a lot of shareholders have reinvested in the business. Um, Did they get better terms? Uh, no, no, it's the same as um, same share price as what uh, the public get. But um, and there's a new valuation and, and the business is growing as well, so um, which is positive. Yeah. So, so how have they done the first lot? What the valuation up to now? So, uh, so turnover has tripled. Um, the valuation. So, in the latest crowd, in this crowdfunding uh, raise is a uh, twenty-four million. Um, before pre, this is pre pre money, and then. Last time it was uh, around eight million, um, and then post money ten million. So once we raised it, ten million dollars. So it's gone up to twenty four. So they've million. Got, gone up somewhere between two and three times yep. on their original yep. thing. Yep. And that that must be. Um, I don't know. As a business owner, having gone out and made all these promises to people, does that feel good to be able to like you know show like for them all to see that it's done well by them? Yeah, um, I think you know they're all quite proud of that they have a piece, they own a piece of this winery, and they and they tell all their friends. But yeah, it's I mean, I've got uh, family and, and very close friends involved in this business, so um, we've got to make it work for them, or there's going to be no family function or event that I can go to <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not get some stick, right? So and that's something. It's actually quite a, a full-on sort of thing. Is that you have your network that have all put in money um, into this business. So, you know, you, you got it. We, we have to make it work and we have to deliver all the time. When did you know it was working? Um, I think probably that first crowdfunding raise when we was kind of for years and years just slogging it out and, and getting some um, traction. But once we went out to the public um, and showed them what we're up to and, and what we're trying to do and people believed in us and, and, and things... That was kind of the first time, I guess, for Rob and I that say, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. We're onto something and people believe in us and, and really took off from there. And how about like coming in and buying one of New Zealand's oldest wineries that, that the government actually set up at the turn of the last century? Yeah, so actually... Was, was, that, was that like a moment of, you know... Um, uh, the new way becomes the establishment or anything yeah. like that? It's actually a long-term lease on it, so we didn't buy it outright. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was, I mean, this winery was running in 1902 by the sort of, I guess, the godfather of a whole New Zealand wine industry, a guy called Romeo Brigado, ran it now. National Awards are named after him, so he was the first guy there. And it is incredible. There's some original winemaking kit from his days there. And, you know, you go in there now and we're making all this Graham Norton and all this in vivo and, you know, it's hard to imagine what he would think back in 1902. I think he'd really like what we're up to. He was a bit of an innovator at the time. It was the first winery um, to ever win uh, some gold medals in the international wine competition. I think it was around about 1908. They sent some wines up to London for a competition. And and they won what's this? From, <laughs> from where? <laughs> yeah. It's a big sort of European exhibition. Um, and they won some golds. But, yeah, I mean, the place is... It's fantastic. It's got a big copper alcohol still um, that looks like something from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory out the back, which was used to make um, medicine for the troops in the World Wars. 
Um, so, yes, got some great history down there. So we're quite proud to to sort of run it now, and and it's fully, you know, we're maxing out capacity. We're bringing more tanks in and more space and things. So it's great. And with this latest crowdfund, uh, which is um, happening at the moment through um, the snowball effect, uh, what are the goals out of that? Because you're going out to take um, to raise up to six point five this time uh, compared to the two last time, and you've shown you know, a pretty good track record with the two. What's the 6.5 for? Yeah, so um, we're raising, it's kind of a two-pronged approach, really. So we're raising 2 million through Snowball, so that's the maximum through equity crowdfunding, and then another 4.5 through sort of wholesale investors, and another company called Mero Capital is running that, so they're running at the same time. Um, the, the focus for the investment is uh, sort of a number of areas, and one being the US. We've got a... Um, opportunity there to replicate what we've done with Graham with a local US celebrity and so we've learned some sort of key insights from that Graham Norton project about how to do it what's you know why is it unique and how to pitch it to retailers and how to roll it out and every year making the blending with Graham and keeping it fresh so there's a whole lot of things steps to the process that we want to and we've had some demand to do the same in the US. And is it all is it all secret you can't? I can't I can't reveal who that person is yet. Yeah. We'll find out soon. So, cool. um, but so yeah, it's a, and, and so that's um, a big part of it. Uh, and if we could replicate what we've done with Graham and the likes of Ireland in the US, I mean, it'd mm. be huge for not only for us but the New Zealand wine industry. Um, we need to take on some more staff, um, not only here in New Zealand but around the world as well. Uh, we also want to invest in the, the countries, our focus markets. So here in New Zealand with Lion Australia. Um, we've got a big partner there with Woolworths, uh, the UK and Ireland. As I said, North America, Japan, we go quite well. And so there's some investment opportunities there to grow the brand. Um, working capital as well. So growth takes grapes for us, basically. So um, it's about bringing in more growers. So we have about 20, 20 plus growers now around the country. Some have been with us since the start and they've seen us grow, which is, which is awesome. Um, so they're kind of the key, the key areas for the investment, really. And how set is the um, American version of the Graham Norton story? Is it all kind of signed and locked up and ready to roll? Still a work in progress for us. So um, you'd probably see it six to 12 months is sort of coming out. So there's a lot of steps that we've got to get right and sort of signed off, I guess, to, before we can do that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something exciting. Um, we've had some support also from NZTE, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, to help mm-hmm. with that Graham Norton project in the US as well. And the valuation and the like, um, sometimes crowdfunding, uh, equity funding things um, have been taken to task for having valuations that seem more friendly to the existing owners than the small investors. But at 10 mil of revenue and then at a 24 mil valuation, um, it doesn't seem like a very big Ford multiple on sales. Yeah, so I mean, ten mil was uh, was last financial year. So into this financial year, we're we'll about thirteen, thirteen point four, I think it is. Um, yeah, I mean, we looked very carefully at that because we didn't want, you know, we've seen valuations out there, um, and we we wanted to be fair. Yeah. Um, so we brought in actually a, a company to help us out with that uh, valuation and and um, you know show uh, as a turnover as a multiple of turnover, you know, where it should be, uh, and compared ourselves versus crowdfunding companies, but also other listed companies and other sort of, I guess, transactions in our space to show, you know, hey, we're not, this is not crazy at all. We've, we've done our home be- homework and this is where we believe we should sit. Hmm. 
Yeah, and and is that a hard thing to do as a as a um, founder and significant owner as well? You know, you're giving away up to twenty percent more of the company, and um, it's not a ridiculous valuation by any means. Do you do you ever think, oh, we're giving it away too cheap, or is it is it a hard thing to to go that equity crowdfunding route? Yeah, it, it's kind of there's a lot of thinking done with um, uh, myself and Rob, and we have a board as well about the reasons for to doing it, but. Um, you know, we want to grow the company. We don't want to sort of say at a certain level. It's our goal to, to as I said, to be a, a known brand in each of our countries we sell in. So, and to do that, it takes investment. Um, but yeah, so it is a little bit of a hard decision. But you know, if you keep hold of all, you know, it, it, all your shares and 100% ownership between the two of us, we wouldn't have been able to get where we are today, really. Hmm. And a couple of questions that we always ask uh, people on the show. You know, what advice do you give entrepreneurs starting out? Maybe people like you, had successful corporate careers and then decide to throw it all in in the middle of a financial crisis and (laughs) set up a a video. What what advice do you give to entrepreneurs having been through a journey that hasn't always been easy? Um, It it will sound pretty cheesy and pretty obvious, but, uh, you know, it's it's for for quite a few years, I mean, we didn't even have an office. We were working from our homes um, because we couldn't afford an office and we we just wanted to spend the... Uh, any sales would go back into the company um but yeah i'd say um it's it's a pretty lonely business so hang in there and just be persistent and i think whoever your customer is will respect that if it doesn't happen you know in that sort of straight away within the first six or 12 months or even first few years um just hang in there because they will certainly respect you sticking it out in the tough times and it also creates a story for you if it comes too easy it's 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 that yeah i'm not (laughs) Jury's still out on that, but if you can create a sort of a story through, you know, yeah, what you've done to get your brand to where it is, people are interested in that, and, and, and retailers and customers are interested in that as well. So just hang in there when it's tough, and uh, you know there'll be better days for sure. And it's not like a create a story and make it up. The way you created your story was by visiting 230 stores <laughs> in a row and telling the same story. Yeah, and, yeah, over yeah, and over again. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and it's that whole f- being the front of your company and doing whatever it takes, really, standing in those shops. Uh, there's a lot of sacrifices, right, that you have to do. And you see your mates who are in those corporate jobs and being able to take nice holidays and buy nice houses and stuff. So, yeah, um, but if you're, if you're persistent, you'll get there. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim Lightborn, co-founder at Invivo Wines. And uh, yeah, they are crowdfunding at the moment. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Alice uh, Rebledell, for producing. And thank you very much for having us along. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off, and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tāmaki Makaurau, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. 
cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.